0: You're listening to the Wes and Walker Show. What are you doing?
1: I just, uh, I just had a big old string come out of my boxers.
2: <laughs> it's Wes. But I do think about Pop Tarts a lot.
0: And Walker. Dude. Is it true? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, I do, I do, I do. Ooh. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNC. This is why we're oh, the best news show. That's me. a promo.
2: Walker show first show of the new year on sports radio 92 7 wfnz keep the text coming on the charlotte men's clinic text line 704-570-9610 and let's get right to it folks on the phone line we've got mark calling to tap in with the west and walker show mark what you got going on my man
1: Hey, man, what I'd like to think, you know, instead of Tepper with his pocketbook, let's get him, they're talking about drinking, let's do the three strikes thing. Uh, have him blow a at halftime, do a blood pressure th- or a blood thing where he blows into a thing and have it uh, on this, uh, the halftime show at the stadium. So everybody knows what he blew for his uh, for his alcohol. <laughs> you know, put it out there for everybody. Let him get embarrassed, man. You know, uh, that what, way he and three strikes and let him sell the team after that. Sorry, you can't hold it. Your liquor, you can't hold the team. What would be more
0: embarrassing if he didn't have a drop of alcohol in him, or if he did? Like, if he was, what would be more embarrassing? The fact that that came from a sober thought. I don't know what would be more embarrassing, but it would be hilarious. Yeah, I to think find it would out be out more
2: frightening way. to come from a sober thought. <laughs> I would think, right? I don't know. It's
0: all frightening, man. <laughs> all of it is
2: very frightening. Anything else, Mark?
1: No, nope, that's it. That's all right, all we I appreciate. It, all right, Mark. We, we appreciate call. the call. Yeah, man. I like the idea.
2: Yeah, that would be uh, quite an innovative way to test out the owner and see if uh, you can get him in the (laughs) stadium (laughs) and get his temperament where you would like to get it. So we're going to be talking about that a ton more. You already know that is one of the top trending stories in all of sports. I saw it everywhere yesterday. But for now, folks, it's time to talk about college football playoffs. It is time for the Campus Kona. Yeah, man. College football playoffs definitely delivered yesterday. If you stayed up to finish watching it, then I'm sure you got two great games that you were satisfied with. And this is what we wanted when they picked this for. We know that FSU was not happy about what happened there, and they certainly couldn't be happy about that sixty-three to three drubbing they got from the Georgia Bulldogs. But we'll get to that more in a minute. But two great great games in playoff history we got yesterday the michigan wolverines did their thing they beat nick saban and the alabama crimson tide handing him his first semifinal loss since 2014 with alabama entering the contest winning six straight semifinal matchups in the cfp jj mccarthy the man that jim harbaugh called the greatest college football quarterback in history after the game, yes, he did say that he loves JJ McCarthy. You know, we talked about uh, last season with uh, what was my man from Georgia, Lord have mercy I love. I was about so to much. say you can't forget I about know. your guys, um, Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett, Stetson Bennett, and the playoff record Bennett. he had, and the stats, and things of that nature. But JJ McCarthy's 27 career starts; Michigan is 26 and one, the best mark by any starting quarterback in at least the last 20 years. That win rate rate above. Trevor Lawrence, Tua tonga Valoa, and others. Michigan got five sacks in the first half alone, matching their previous single game season best in just 30 minutes, setting an all-time college football playoff record for sacks in a half. And then on offense, Michigan compiled 351 yards of offense with McCarthy thrown for 221 yards and three touchdowns. Blake Corham had 118 yards from scrimmage. But offensively, for the most part, this was a pretty even game. Alabama had 288 yards of offense. They had the ball for 32 minutes. As I said, Michigan had 351 yards for 27 minutes. Jayla Milrow at 179 yards of total offense on 16 of 23 passing. What do we think of that matchup? What do we think of the final call of that game as well? Did Alabama and Nick Saban just drop the ball as far as having their team prepare and got out coached? All right, yeah. So the the call with Jalen
0: Milrow just running right up the gut in a have to have it situation didn't make much sense. Like pretty much zero creativity. Don't exactly know what happened. That did not. That wasn't anything I expected. Thought they were going to throw it. Maybe run on the outside. Maybe even have a little trickery involved in the form of a lateral or a pitch or whatever, but it was him running right up the gut. And then you get stuff because that's one of Michigan's strengths is the defensive line. And so nothing made sense about that final call. I just thought man, watching Michigan J.J. McCarthy be able to drive his team down the field in the fourth quarter when it's not like he had a crazy stat line. Three touchdowns, yes, 220 yards is not a lot of passing yards. 17 to 27 is fine enough, but this is the question that I had. When it was time for J.J. McCarthy to go win the game, Was he gonna be able to do it against really good defenses? And he was. He was able to have that drive that he puts together and throw for a few touchdowns in order to get them to the national championship for the first time in the college football playoff era. So I thought that was a big takeaway. The other one is when Milrow fumbled the ball and just lost it on zero hit, just like it was an awful turnover. I thought, yeah, that's how Michigan's gonna win the football game. Michigan misses the kick on the possession they have after they recover the fumble. And then I thought, all right, it's going to go to Alabama now. Like, the roller coaster of emotions that I felt after the Milrow fumble, okay, now it's Michigan, wait, now it's going to be Alabama, wait, it's going to be Michigan this entire time. It was a fun football game down the stretch.
2: Yeah, and the thing about it was on that final call, you always want to give your team options. And that was the thing that was perplexing to me. And then this Alabama offense, Michigan put the clamps on it. You remember pregame, I told you, the Alabama had 39 completions of at least 25 yards this season. They were very explosive, but we didn't see any of that. And they tried to do that with kind of the game plan, having Jalen Miro drop back. But on that final call, I didn't have a ton of issues with it. I felt like the snap might have thrown off the timing just a little bit. But I like, in situations like that, give my quarterback a couple of options, either run Spread where you fake it to the running back, or he gives it and then makes a decision off that, or give him the option to where he gets out on the edge and can decide, hey, am I going to throw this thing or am I going to run it? So I thought that they failed there, but Michigan special teams almost lost them that game yesterday. As well, well. And it was a low
0: snap, too. And there are people, you know, discussing how, yeah, it was a low snap and it felt like he just tried to make something happen. And it really was. He had to go grab this snap, really, right at the ground. It just felt like. It, there could have been something else, and the guys are rushing free on the outside once he gets it. You know, we have some people rolling and saying there's a gap that maybe he could run through, but it just was if bad the If he makes a snap. clean
2: catch, so, yeah, and then maybe that speed he can
0: breeze through. Yeah, just wasn't able to execute, and just a mishap, right? Milroe on the fumble, where it wasn't because he got hit hard. It wasn't because of anything. He just lost the handle on the football in a place that that can't happen, and then to have the bad snap in a moment, just weird, unforced errors that happened on the part of Alabama that we're used to. Uh, we're really not used to seeing from the Crimson Tide. Vinny, what were your thoughts on the game yesterday?
1: Ah oh, man, there's there's nothing like watching a team, a program that you
0: have loved your entire life, break break down the wall, overcome adversity. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I was about to say it was a weird. It was a lot <laughs> of fun watching Michigan beat Bama. Also, um,
2: more playoff games at the Rose Bowl, please.
0: Like, those games just deliver every single time.
2: They do, man. I love the Rose Bowl. One of the most picturesque settings that you can have as well. I'm sorry, I'm laughing at Fitty. I know. I'm sure. It sounds a little hmm, raggedy. It definitely does.
0: Gargling Clorox over there is what it (laughs) sounds
2: like. So, yeah, uh, this matchup, it seemed like Michigan was going to be in store for more of the same from Alabama. We know Alabama has had their way kind of with Michigan uh, the last few times that they've seen them. But for... Uh, them to battle back like they did show that resilience it had a feeling of a team of destiny when you finally get over the hump over a program that's really been holding you back because we know Michigan lost last season to TCU it just feels like Michigan has been knocking at the door and they finally were able to break it down and so then the second game of the night Texas and Washington we got exactly what we wanted there an offensive explosion towards or in contrast to the more defensive game that we saw from Alabama Michigan They had just enough scoring for me but for Washington this season over 14 games they've never trailed by more than seven points the Huskies never trailed at all in eight of 14 games including in the game against the Texas Longhorns over a total of 840 minutes this season the Huskies have trailed for just 101 minutes, 5 seconds, meaning they've been tied or ahead for 738 minutes and 44 seconds. That is your uh, clock math class for the day, right there. But Washington has won its last 12 games that have been decided by one score or less. Uh, they were tremendous, and then their defense too, which was I thought was going to be their downfall. They've allowed a total of just 41 fourth quarter points. Over its last nine games and just 27 points in the fourth over the last six. So they put the clamps on when the Michael Penix was absolutely sensational. 430 passing yards, 29 of 38. He was just throwing darts all over the field. Your thoughts?
0: That no matter how much we try to write off Washington and Michael Penix, they just continue to win these one-score games. And this wasn't even supposed to be a one-score game at the end. They were supposed to win, finally, by double digits, but they almost had an epic collapse. They're barely able to hold on, though. 37-31, that's what allows it to be a one-score game. And Michael Penix throwing for 430 yards, running for another 30 on three carries— This is the guy that we didn't really want to give the Heisman to because he wasn't dominant enough against some of these other teams that they played. Despite Washington having the hardest strength of schedule, they had so many one-score victories. Three points against Washington State, two against Oregon State, seven against Utah. Ten against USC, which isn't enough when you consider the USC bad year that they had. What they finish like? Eight and five after the bowl win, just wasn't enough for us every single time. But somehow, some way. He continues to hit deep bomb after deep throw to a Adunze or whoever is down there receiving it. And they've just marched all the way to the championship. This would be one of the more impressive individual runs that we've ever seen. Certainly that did not result in a Heisman. Especially just talking about that program with the strength of schedule to end the Pac-12 as we know it. To come out on top and win a championship for that squad, I, I would be highly, highly impressed to the point where we'd have to put it up amongst some of the best individual runs we've ever seen with other QBs, what Michael Penix is doing.
2: And a big reason why he's able to do that, folks. I keep telling you, if you're going to get this rebuild right here in Carolina, man, you're going to have to draft the big boys and be patient because I told you coming into this game, their offensive line won the 2023 Joe Moore Award, given to the nation's best unit. They only allow .85 sacks per game. That's tied for fourth in the country and three and a half tackles for loss, and that's fifth national tied for it. What did they give up last night? Zero sacks on the night and only three tackles for loss. If you can come out in today's college football and get that clean of a performance from your offensive line, Man, let me tell you, you're going to be sitting pretty, and that's what Michael Penix was doing last night. He was barely bothered last night. He got back there and just had all the time in the world to call his girl, cook a steak, and then throw a touchdown pass. All right. Washington's defense, like I said, showed up for him. They got two sacks and five tackles for loss, and yet, and still, I thought that Texas was going to come back and get this game. You felt like Texas could kind of score when they wanted to. They just would keep shooting themselves in the foot, so to speak. What did you think of that last play? Because I thought it was a good design. I did think that Quinn could have thrown a little bit better ball right there. But I thought that, hey, a 50-50 ball with the game on the line, you got to live with that, especially throwing to a kid who had already made a spectacular uh, catch in that game. When you look at what he was able to do, the Georgia transfer, um, oh, his name escapes me. I'll find him in a minute. But what did you think of that last play call? Well,
0: I mean, I just think, look – you were, probably could have thrown it a little better, I guess. But, I mean, ultimately, it's a 50-50 ball. What are you going to do? And when you talk about yeah, Donnie
2: A. Mitchell is his name.
0: When you're talking about... Uh, Washington, or excuse me, Texas, being able to score whenever they wanted. Yeah, it certainly felt that way, too, at the end of the first half, when they're able to march down the field pretty easily, and they score, I think, with something like 17 seconds left to go. You have the big run from Quinn Ewers. That was the 21-yard run, I believe, of the 54 total that he ended up with, and so you go into the second half, a tie ball game, and they're able to hold on in that third quarter. They get that 10-point lead, and then barely, despite the uh, best efforts of that last play, yeah, just, I don't know what else, you know, there's a lot more to do there as far as uh, Texas trying to figure out a way to win on the Hail Mary type situation.
2: Who was the biggest winner last night, both individually and team-wise, and then we can do the same thing for loser. We can do it rapid-fire. Well,
0: Michael Penix is the biggest winner to me. I, I know Jim Harbaugh wants to tell you it's J.J. McCarthy. Coach-wise, it's Jim Harbaugh having beat Nick Saban in Alabama. So you
2: would say Michigan is the biggest winner,
0: team-wise? Team-wise, I guess it's Michigan, although Washington is up there. I, I just The bigger, bigger winner overall, if there's no limitations... Penix man like we're about to get into some pretty serious conversation as far as an individual run and somebody texted um, that Trevor Lawrence Jack said Trevor Lawrence is the best to never win a Heisman I don't even mean best player to never win a Heisman just think about going undefeated with that tough of a schedule in conference and then to do it in the college football playoff to beat a team like Texas if he beats Michigan how many other better runs can you point to I'm sure there are a couple but there's not many for somebody that hasn't won the Heisman before. Cam Newton, Tim Tebow, those are a couple guys you could point to, but they ended up taking home the hardware. I just would be wildly impressed for somebody that had 430 yards passing. The best game QBR-wise this entire season happened in the contest that mattered most for the Washington Huskies. Yeah, man, I'm totally impressed with what he's doing.
2: Yeah, I loved what Michael Penix did. He kind of did what I expected him to. Did I expect him to light it up like that? Uh, Maybe not, but I still expected him to have a game over 300 yards with multiple touchdown passes. I'm going to go with Blake Corn, man. The guy he just kept on pounding last night. Alabama was being very stingy, but he saved his biggest moments for the end of the game. This is a kid that's been a consummate playmaker for the Michigan team, uh, game in and game out, so I'm going to go with him. My biggest winner as a team also is I'm going to go with Michigan because this is a team that was 0-2 coming into the semifinals, going up against an Alabama team that I said had owned them the last times that they had seen them. So for Michigan to win over that, I think that's why you saw the celebration how it was. Of course, they're excited to go to the championship, but to do it, beating Alabama, especially after the national perception, we know the video and all that stuff like that, I think Michigan definitely uh, got a huge boost for their program. And when we come back on the Wes and Walker Show, second take Tuesday, Panthers-Jaguars on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.
1: McDonald's is not new to chicken.
0: Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Wes, we have some texts coming in saying, "Hey, just why do you skip Second Take Tuesday on this one?" <laughs> they don't want to hear any more about the bad plays in <laughs> this game. I guess that's what happens when after what was a still positive takeaway game against Green Bay with the way that Bryce Young was able to lead that team downfield, have a chance to tie it, one second away from spiking that ball soon enough to have a field goal try. The next game, you lose 26 to nothing. I hate to see it. You can text us your thoughts, 704 Let's dive in with one of the early plays. We don't have to spend all time doing second take Tuesday. It's a rough watch. No doubt about it. But I did want to roll with one of the scoring opportunities they had. When they pick up a fourth and three, Adam Thielen, wide open on the right sideline because he just gets lost. There's a blown coverage when they have trips to the right. Thielen able to be wide open. Bryce able to convert a fourth down conversion attempt. And then you end up in the next series having a third and seven where, Wes, this is where the interior pass protection is just non-existent. So if you look at what Jacksonville does, they have what seems to be their five offensive linemen, and then it feels like Jacksonville is about to rush five. And so on the corner... The linebacker covering Tom uh, Tommy Trimble, or was a safety? I'm not sure who it was, but there's somebody covering Tommy Trimble, but he's right there uh, almost blitzing, and then he actually drops back in coverage. The interior defensive lineman ends up rushing to the outside where Icky picks him up, and that confuses the hell out of Cade Mays. You've called it out a couple of times. Feels like stunts. Even the simplest of stunts, they confuse the Panthers' offensive line. Happens here, right side taken care of. Even Bozeman puts hands on his guy. And then Cade Mays does not see the blitzer from the middle. And then Tommy Trimble gets picked up by another linebacker. Honestly, if it wasn't for a tipped pass at the line of scrimmage, Devin Lloyd might just come away with that interception, but ends up just blowing dead third and seven, fourth and seven opportunity. You don't come away with a touchdown. And I thought that was one where the offensive line, the problems, especially from the guard and center positions this year, Cade Mays just completely not putting one hand, not even putting a finger on the blitzer from the middle. It was a problem, and uh, we saw it on full display in this game against Jacksonville, and it's just more of the same what we've seen all season
2: long. Yeah, that's the thing, man, and it's just perplexing because that's stuff that you drill in practice. You go over stunts, you go over games, and the Panthers kind of continually – give those up and so that's the thing that frustrates you the most is like you would think at some point they would have better communication but I think it just speaks to the personnel that they have as to why they're struggling. But I'll start off with a little bit of positivity in the first quarter. On that third nine, about 9.15 to go, Brian Burns gets a nice sack on a stunt. Gets a free run and didn't have to do a ton of work to do it, but it was just nice to see him finally take the quarterback down because we know that he's been struggling as far as getting home and completing those sacks. So I thought early on in the game at least, uh, that was nice to see from Carolina. And I thought that was something that would get Burns going uh, en route to a bigger game.
0: Yeah, it was nice to see him get home. He still didn't do it nearly as much. But at least you got one sack, especially with that article dropped by Joe Person, where he was talking about how it's been a rough year. Wes, I, I do want to focus a little more on this stunt thing, because I mentioned third and seven. You have a different blitzer, and that's how Bryce Young is sacked. And then fourth and seven. All they do is just move the guys a little bit more, and there's another set where Icky gets beat on that fourth and seven. Like it just, Icky Kwanu actually is credited with having a pretty good game on Pro yeah, Football he did. Focus even though that's not what people would tell you if they just watched this contest a lot of people would tell you that icky was a real problem what did you make of vicky quandu's game having watched them against the Jets?
2: yeah i mean he gave up a couple of sacks and i know pff did give him a pretty good grade one of the better grades he's gotten all season but man it just speaks to you can't trust him when he's going up against an elite edge rusher and i think that's something that is going to have to be addressed no question about it because if you get to the point that you want to get to and you start playing these meaningful games with teams that do have elite pass rushes it's like do you trust the most important guy at the most important position on the offensive line depending on which hand your quarterback throws with do you trust the guy and we saw what josh allen was able to do whether it was by stunt or whether it was by just physically uh getting by him he's continued to struggle in pass protection all right so and we can just go
0: with the sequence of the plays that i think most people take away from this one how about three straight drops from dj chark downfield that one was tough to watch and we can go to dj chark having not created a lot of separation that's not necessarily in his bag we haven't seen it all season long but he did start to get going as we saw against green bay where it was bryce young and dj chark hooking up to allow them a shot at winning that football game here you were just trying to avoid a shutout for the first time in 21 years by the way a shutout for the panthers and what we are not, you know, I'm sorry, that's not necessarily true. But when we're talking about just avoiding a shutout, it wasn't able to happen because DJ chart could not bring in a couple of those throws downfield. And this goes back to when we were going over, okay, is this something we expect to be a trend Wes, or is this something that is going to end? And this is an outlier type performance. Is this a I'm back performance to borrow the phrase from Cam Newton, or is this a, uh, this is just one time. Don't expect it to happen. You and I both said, yeah, for DJ Chark. We expect him to go right back to what he was doing at the beginning of the season, and that certainly rang true here against Jacksonville.
2: Yeah, those drops, man, they were so disappointing, and you got to be able to help your quarterback. And in a game that was still relatively close, and that's the thing, it's like if you make a few of those catches, who knows what that does for your offense, but he wasn't able to do so. And I felt yeah. like, like you said, he just kind of went right back to the DJ chart that he had been this season, which was disappointing. So uh, for my plays, I have to go to a couple by a certain player that we actually, you know, we like him, but it just kind of speaks to one of the main flaws of this defense, and it's a pretty important one. When you look at uh, ETN and his long touchdown run that he had uh, in the third quarter, and Frankie Louvoo, I don't know what he was looking at on that play when, when you watch it. It was like, Jacksonville didn't do anything really to try and confuse them. They didn't try anything misdirection-wise. Maybe he thought by darting down in the gap that he could maybe chase down from the back. I'm not sure what it was, but that was huge. It gave Jacksonville numbers on the outside for them to be able to land enough blocks for ETN to do the rest and get in there and score. And then on the third and five, with around 732 left, C.J. Beathard has a first down scramble, and Lou misses a tackle that could have shortened the game. I mean, he tried to push him, and I didn't understand that at all. Like, I didn't get that logic. I don't know why NFL players and just players alike still do this. Yeah. Why not bring your hands and wrap the guy up? The Panthers are tied at a three-way tie. Four missed tackle leaders in the NFL they have 112 missed tackles to tie the Houston Texans and the New York Giants and I think that's one of the biggest flaws of this And for Frankie Lufu for all the positive things that he brings to the table the coverage to me is still lacking in, in, in pass-downs, but the missed tackles as well because this is a guy that misses around 16% uh, of his tackles.
0: Well, and, and I'm looking, too, at that play where that ETN is able to score the touchdown. So Jacksonville has three wide receivers to the left. It looks like it's going to be a passing down at second and six, the way that they have their formation set up. And it feels like because of that, YGM is pinning his ears back and thinking, okay, quarterback's going to have it. This is my time to go get this sack. So he breaks inside and isn't able to set the edge and after that, Jacksonville does a pretty good job of getting offensive linemen out in front and so there are only two Panthers that could make the play in the first or second level. ETN goes right by all of them and then turns on the Jets to beat Xavier Woods. You're right. That's when you're just trying to push him out of bounds. I don't know how he was able to stay in bounds. I mean, it was right there. It feels like a strong breeze might have affected him to step on the white chalk, but nope. Ends up scoring a TD and at that point, with the way that the offense wasn't putting up any Kind of points whatsoever. Yeah, man, 16 to nothing. That'll do it for Carolina. And I'm wondering if maybe that
2: up. was a called blitz, perhaps. That's the only thing that I could think of because Bethard catches the ball and pitches it right beside him. And so he I does. think if you sit there for a beat and i guess his coach would tell him to read his keys that he would have been more uh involved in that play so i'm guessing that maybe it was a call blitz as to why he just darted down inside so quickly
0: and then having everybody else on the left side covering all the wide receivers that did create etn and enough lanes for him to uh, take it all the way to the house. So that'll do it, at least for me, on Second Take Tuesday with some of the play. (laughs) We we don't have to continue to go through it, but this is just the main theme here I wanted to get to because after the game against Atlanta, having the game-winning drive, and then we got to see two performances in a row from Bryce Young. We got to see him do it again against Green Bay in the moments that mattered most. Okay, can you play a good month of football before you hang them up and then just get to your sophomore campaign. It feels a little like this is the one thing that couldn't happen to me in order to continue to gain on this momentum. Don't get shut out, especially against a defense that had been playing terribly, terribly. And then against Carolina, they get back on track. Jacksonville. I, I, Maybe saying that they were teetering on the dysfunction level is a little too much, but there were lots of things going on. Trevor Lawrence saying it didn't look like we practiced. It felt like once we get comments out there in the open about coaching staff, about certain players, yeah. just some weird messaging, yeah, things are not going well for that football team. And so you could either continue to be a train wreck or you could try to figure it out. Now it's, hey, what do we have to lose? we got to go the out there. Bill
2: Jackson School of Psychology. Put stuff out there in the press and – let the universe marinate. So it it just, Carolina is a get right team, but usually their defense
0: isn't. And the running game was able to get going. He he was able to, we did Shrop's props. West tied it up for a piece with one game <laughs> left to go. So the stakes are high here, folks, as De La Soul would say. But when you watch Travis Etienne get over the prop on the one run, he gets over a hundred yards for the first time in a long time. The defense pitches a shutout. So there's another thing that gets back on track. Like it just felt this was the get right game in a couple areas that Jacksonville was struggling. And that's what you hate to see. You know, if if you're going home, to borrow the phrase from Derek Brown and Brian Burns, we want to send them home too. Well, man, you didn't do that at all against Jacksonville on the road you let them continue on to a possible playoff
2: yeah I just felt like a guy like Trevor Lawrence coming out making the comments that he made I felt like that that was going to work on that team and I thought that it was going to perhaps get them going in the right direction and with the Panthers I just felt like as excited as I was by what Bryce did I felt like it, it was almost too good to be true and while I don't think that the performance against Green Bay was an anomaly I just think that And I told you that, and we said it on this show, that I expected Bryce to have another clunker before the season was over with because that's just the way it's going. You're a 2-14 team. And for rookies, it's just up and down that way. So for me to sit there and say, oh, I'm super discouraged by what happened to Bryce Young, no, I'm not. And I also think the biggest thing that hurt him that a lot of people aren't talking about as well, was Eddie Pinheiro being hurt. I mean, I think in a lot of those situations, they could have gotten some field goals. Who knows what that could have done for the team's morale as far as giving them a boost, Say, hey, we got three points on the board, six points on the board, nine points on the board, especially before Jacksonville was able to score that fourth quarter touchdown. I thought that that really hurt the momentum of the offense not having a field goal kicker, especially one that's been as dependable as Eddie Pinheiro in their back pocket. Because at first, when I watched the game, I got in on it a little late. Started it from the beginning and when they kept going for it on fourth down, I said, why oh, did the they Panthers and keep seven, going for right, it? Right. I said, why do they keep going for it? And then I saw Carla Gibbs, uh, Gebhard, right. Carla Gebhart's report, what she said about Pinheiro. And I said, oh, OK, that makes sense now. But I think that that really hurts the offense when, you know, you don't have that to fall back
0: on. Yeah. I mean, here you have a special teams coordinator as your interim head coach and now you can't even score points via special teams you took away the strongest attribute of that guy. (laughs) And so, yeah, now it's if you don't score a touchdown, you ain't scoring.
2: And that's why they went for it on. (laughs) Why don't they have a guy on there like Chad Johnson or somebody, some skill guy that can come in and boot a field goal? Well, it's not a skill guy,
0: but they have Kamu Grugier-Hill. Well, KGH, he can kick uh, a kickoff, but
2: I mean a guy that can nail a field goal.
0: Well, I mean, look. Okay, like the guys that we can remember having kicked before, uh, there's a guy in Houston that did it this year, right? I forget who it was, but there's somebody in Houston mm-hmm. who actually made a field goal. And Domekin Sue is lined up for it one time. You mentioned Chad Ocho Senko. Yeah. I it has to be their decision. I think they do have that guy in Camus. If you can kick a, if you can kick off, then That's about as good of an opportunity for some of these players that aren't kickers to go ahead and try their shot at a field goal. But they just decided, no, we feel better about our chances going forward on fourth and seven, going forward on all of these fourth down conversion attempts, rather than sending a linebacker out there to try to, you
2: know, split the uprights. Yeah, man, that hurt him, man. It really did. It really did. I like the kickers. I know you don't, you know, care for kickers like that, but wait, how did I get this reputation? (laughs) I think we had talked about some special team stuff before, and you were kind of just like, eh. I'm trying to think of how – did we do a top ten list? We did something, man. We brought up – I think I brought up Eddie Pinheiro in some capacity or something. No, I think – for kind of some reason, I think it. it was Hecker. Something think, like that. Yeah. I think it was Johnny
0: Hecker. You might have put Hecker <laughs> in a top ten list, but you're right. There was one show that I think I – I don't yeah, even know kind if of I – Yeah,
2: special teams a little
0: bit. I, no, it was Justin Tucker. That's what it was. That's yes, you it was, did. It was the Baltimore game. Yes, and I did not have Justin Tucker. I think in the top ten, or I didn't yes, have him high that's enough. That's exactly what it was, and that's why I hate kickers now. All right, yeah, you know, I wow. hate running backs. I I hate just the goat, man. That's that's hard to. He is the goat. I will get give past you that. that. Yeah, he is the goat. <laughs> I'll always remember his face when he misses the extra point. Remember when he's just so baffled by yeah. missing an extra point in order to get them the victory? Just like he was so beside himself. Wait, I didn't know I could. I didn't know that was even allowed to right happen. i mean kickers aren't
2: important until they are
0: i'm sorry justin tucker <laughs> that i dissed you like that it's wesson walker sports radio 92.7 7 wfnz we will talk a little bit more about the charlotte hornets their west coast road trip it's about to come to an end i mean <laughs> thank we, god we're gonna take the magnifying glass out and try to find some positives believe it or not <laughs> i do have one for you we'll get to that in a moment but not before we get to a fitty flash it's been a while what's your fitty flash that you got here for us
2: It's alright to be a little Fitty little hometown or a big old city Might as well like. Life goes on for a little Fitty Alright, it's your time,
0: buddy What you got for us?
1: (laughs) A whole lot of nothing, to be honest with you Because uh, (laughs) I did not know if I was Flashing today or not Okay How about this? A little tennis talk for (laughs) you Rafael oh,
0: Nadal returned to singles play with the win at Brisbane. Of course, the Aussie Open two weeks away or so. And the one of the greatest of all time making okay. a return for his final year on tour. So... There you go. Excited about that one. No, that was a great Fitty Flash. I appreciate it. We, uh, we don't have to go to another one. We'll try to save yeah, that point a little bit All the stuff more.
2: that you could have said, that's what you decided to come with. I mean, you could have reported that San Francisco locked up the one seed yesterday, and we would have been great with that.
0: I know somebody specifically would have been really okay with that. That's all right though. (laughs)
2: Fiddy's going to rest. He could have put on his cowboy.
0: Yeah, I'm actually pleased with this because that means he's not going to grab for the microphone to hate on Steve Clifford or any of the Charlotte Hornets in the next segment. We're going to talk about the West Coast road trip. It's all coming up next. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.
1: McDonald's is not new to chicken.
0: Walker Sports Radio 927 WFNZ. Fiddy is mad at his New York Knicks for trading RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly for OG Ananobi. We were talking about him during the break. Finally, like one of these Miles Turner guys, one of these players that is always talked about at the trade deadline. Hey, possibly he's moved. Finally, Ananobi moves to a different home. And uh he finds himself playing for the New York Knicks. Fiddy's favorite basketball team. He was always, I don't know when to say, in the mix with Charlotte, but people would mention him. Hey, what would it take to, you know, go land OG Ananobi to come in and help the Charlotte Hornets play some defense, also be a good shooter, an efficient basketball player that isn't going to take the ball out of LaMelo's hands, but really a three and D veteran type of guy that most people would say, hey, that's the most viable type of player the Hornets could welcome in. Now he goes to the Knicks, but they need still that type of player on this roster because Wes, I mean, it's been an awful West Coast road trip. It's been an awful season to this point. Now the Hornets are seven and twenty-four. They're on an eleven-game losing streak. When they went on this West Coast roadie, we knew it was going to get ugly. Played well against the Nuggets. I thought they played well against the Clippers, and then the bottom fell out—you know, blowout to the Lakers, Blow out to the Suns. Same thing that happened against Denver last night. And so they're going to end things in this game tonight against Sacramento, and that's great. And that's—I'm glad that they're going to be—they're going to go to Chicago for a road game first, and then they're going to come back home. I was hoping for one win. You have a shot. We'll see what happens. They're like a 16-point underdog against Sacramento, especially when you play on the second night of a back-to-back. That's not going to do them any favors either. But it's a lost season for this team. They're not going to get to the postseason. Terry Rozier doesn't play last night. No Mark Williams. No Gordon Hayward is going to be reevaluated in like a week and a half worth time now. And no Lamella Ball. So when you have that many guys that are injured and – continue not to suit up then it's going to be tough to win basketball games and especially when you're on this kind of road trip I'm glad they're going to come back home you said thank god they're coming back home I'm right there with you but I don't expect a lot more wins to come their way the rest of the season
2: no I don't and at what point do we look at the injuries as just part of the DNA of this team too that that's another thing because it's like we constantly have been talking about that for the better part of the last two years just how man when they get healthy when they get healthy, when they get healthy and it never yep. happens. And I think that's now just a part of the DNA of this team that you have to put in there and just say, this is a team that can't stay healthy no matter what. And it's almost feels like a pipe dream to be able to see them whole again. And even getting still in a few times that they are all together, it's still a lot of the same issues, but you still would hope to see all of them and all of their parts together.
0: Well, and it's funny you bring that up because if you look at some of the guys that try to project win totals, the advanced stats, the advanced things to look at, if you will, is how many games were missed due to injury the previous season. And the Charlotte Hornets, remember two years ago when they have their 40-win season and they get to the play-in tournament. If you look at the guys that got injured, they were actually one of the healthier basketball teams in all of the NBA. If you look at, I think it was Terry Rozier who played 63 games last season, Terry Rogier played, I think, the fourth most amount of games. 63 the year before that would have been like ninth. Everybody was healthy. Miles was playing every game. Mm-hmm. Remember, LaMelo's only had one healthy year, and that was two years ago when oh, they won 40 you, yeah. games. Gordon Hayward was towards the bottom like he is every season. He played more than half of the NBA contest. And so I wonder if this is the law of averages you know, coming back. Where was like, okay, you were so healthy two years ago. Now we're going to go at the complete opposite end of the spectrum center, if you will, and (laughs) destroy them health-wise. That's how it's felt the last couple of games, Um, last couple of years, Mm -hmm. I should say, not even just the game. So what are the positives, right? Brandon Miller is the one that you focus on. Wes, I was hopping on with Kyle Bailey and and, uh, T-Bone yesterday on the Hornets pregame show, and they were asking me for my takeaway against Phoenix. And it continues to be Brandon Miller not being afraid of the moment. That's what's fun. Here's somebody that's here for all the smoke. He's ready for it. He's not scared to shoot. Not a good shooting performance last night. I actually thought this was one of his worst defensive performances. But you're on the road against Denver. Yeah, I can imagine how you might have a couple of mental lapses defensively. But Brandon Miller still far and away a bright spot this season. And I feel like that's going to be the main headline. What do you want to take away from the rest of this year? Because postseason basketball, it's just not going to be in the cards with the kind of hole you're in right now. It's all about how does Brandon Miller continue to get better? No LaMelo ball, no Terry Rogier. We're seeing a lot of Brandon on ball. Like he's the lead guard because who else are you going to go with? It's Ish Smith, <laughs> it's Brandon Miller handling a lot of those duties. It's Brandon Miller and maybe a couple of other things. I, is there anything else that you would point to, or is it clearly just well, the rookie out of Alabama?
2: Also, you got to give it up to Terry Rogier. I mean, the defense yeah. might not be there every night, but when you look at what he's doing, he's having a career year oh, pretty no, much I, across the board. Gotta love it. I mean, yeah. career year in points per game. He's having a career year in field goal percentage. He's at 46%. He's up 5% last season from his three-point shooting from 32-7 to 37 uh, flat, so he's shooting the ball well from there. But the biggest thing, man... As you look at what he's bringing to the table from an assist standpoint, greatest year of his career, in those regards, averaging 7.2 assists per game, two turnovers, man. But Terry yeah, when you turn on the TV, as I said, the defense might not always be where you want it, but this is a guy that's coming out, leaving it all on the court from Terry. He is one of the few guys that you do see uh, a lot of passion from when he plays as well. I mean, Terry can just flat-out ball. That's the only way that you can put it. When you watch him play for this organization, I mean, he can make difficult shots. He can shoot the three. He can shoot off the dribble. He can catch and shoot. Like Terry's got it, man. And you feel bad for him. Sometimes you wish he had a little bit more help because a lot of times it feels like over the last couple of years that he's one of the very few guys that is healthy out there. So I've got to give him uh, his credit. To me, he's been a huge bright spot. And like I said, I think that Brandon Miller is a guy that uh, is a catalyst for change as far as the culture uh, of this team. I mean, he's third among rookies in scoring. He's shooting a three-ball, I mean, 39%. That's seventh uh, amongst rookies. So you love what you're seeing from him because you're getting everything that you thought that you would from him, even the people who uh, did not want the Hornets to draft him, that you're seeing a lot of things that you felt like, well, if he comes in and he hits, he'll be able to do this, 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 and this. And he's doing it, not to mention bringing a mentality. Uh, to this franchise. So I agree with you on Brandon Miller, and then I got to take hats off to Terry Rozier.
0: No, I, and yeah, we, we've had a couple of Terry Rozier appreciation segments on Locked on Hornets yeah, just man. because he's gotten so much better even as a lead guard, where if he was your point guard, you didn't feel great about it. It was an emergency situation. Now I feel totally comfortable with the way that he's been playing. I mean, think about a couple of back-to-back 13-assist games that was his career high before he posted a couple back-to-back. I think it was 12, actually. I think he beat it in two games in a row. Totally with you on Terry. The other thing is, as we try to focus on the bright spots here, how about just the young players in general?
2: And Nick- yeah, Nick Smith's come in. He's been playing pretty well. A bucket,
0: as the kids say. Yeah, Like, Nick Smith Jr. coming in here and shooting from deep, shooting from mid-range. Love what he's able to do for this team. And he's healthy uh, in a way that he was not his lone year at Arkansas. And I think that's why he falls to the back of the first round. It's why so many people were excited when he was the pick. And I think everything he's shown you to this point, you are not moved off of that. You are still holding some of that excitement. And how about Bryce McGowans? Bryce just slowly getting better from what he showed. The summer league, underwhelming summer league for him. Liked that pick when Mitch Kupchak made it at the back half of the first round two years ago. I think it was early second round pick, if I'm not mistaken. And Bryce, four of eight in the starting lineup has been pretty efficient. Bryce McGowans is a, a really good attacker. He shot seven free throws a game at Nebraska. Like that's not somebody that's just going to settle constantly. So really just the baby bees, they're playing well. And I think that's what you can be excited about the rest of the way. Cause certainly that's where our focus is going to turn one more hour to go. It is the live wire with Josh Fiddy, Marlowe more on David Tepper's fallout, the Duval drink toss, the college football playoff sound bites that Fitty's going to bring to the table and a whole lot more. Sports Radio 927 WFNZ. More Wesson Walker to come.